Well, good morning again, Freedom Village family. Um, just an honor and privilege uh, to be with you again, and uh, certainly wish uh, that we could see you uh, here in person, or I could see you here in person, uh, but of course we are still grateful uh, we get to worship together uh, through, through the use of technology and online and YouTube and all those good things, amen? Well, here at Freedom Village, um, our vision uh, to remind you, for those of you who have been here, <laughs> uh, to, uh, to inform you, for those of you who are new, um, our vision is pretty simple. Our vision is to help people uh, be the church. Uh, we want to be the church. Uh, not to help people become church goers, uh, but to actually be the church. To be people who are uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. To be people who center their lives around Jesus Christ and his gospel. And to be people who live their lives on mission. To be people, in short, to be people who are disciples and who therefore turn and engage in discipleship. Uh, And because of that God-given vision, uh, because that's our direction, uh, we gather together. It's the reason that we come together each and every week to worship through song. Uh, It's the reason that we come together to reflect upon and and contemplate, study God's word. We come together to encourage one another, to stir one another up, uh, to love God and to love people. That's why we're here. That's why we're watching online. That's why we gather every Sunday. Uh, But of course, uh, if we're going to be people who center their whole lives on the gospel, if we're going to be people who are true disciples, who truly make disciples, uh, I think all of us know that gathering together once a week uh, on Sunday mornings is not enough. That to truly be the church, uh, we need to have meaningful relationships with people who also have a vision to be the church and to look more like Jesus. We need community. Uh, We need fellowship. Uh, We need family. Uh, We need friends. God's word is so clear. Uh, We are going to struggle to go down the path of life. Uh, We are going to struggle uh, to go towards the things of Christ. We are going to struggle to be the church Unless we have meaningful relationships, unless we have good community, good friends. You know, uh, we live in a world that is so connected. Uh, I think all of us can agree on this. We are more connected uh, than ever, uh, particularly now through the use of social media. We can you know, find out what each other is doing in just a split uh, second. We're friends with people all over the world. We're following people all over the world, people we don't even uh, know. We're so connected. But yet at the same time, even recent studies, study after study shows that people have never been more lonely Uh, People have never felt more isolated. Uh, People have never been or felt more disconnected to one another. Um, Again, I don't have to tell you this, but uh, this past year and a half has been such a challenge in terms of building deep and meaningful relationships, deep and meaningful community. Uh, We have all these restrictions uh, keeping us from meeting together, 
uh, from sharing meals together, from going into each other's homes uh, to be hospitable towards one another. Um, It's been tough. Uh, But we need to, as the church, we need to fight for this. Uh, And as your pastor, um, I've really felt this burden, uh, particularly in this uh, season. um, I felt that we need to, I need to fight for this. Uh, We need to fight to grow closer together. We need to fight for meaningful relationships that result in becoming more like Jesus. And so today, uh, we're going to take the time to consider what God and his word says about friendship. Friendship, a a topic that's probably not preached uh, too often, uh, but that's where we're headed today. Uh, We're going to define together, we're going to define what is a friend, Uh, we're going to talk about how we create meaningful friendship, and then finally we're going to discuss the ability or where the ability to be a friend and have these meaningful friendships actually comes from. Um, So if you have your Bible with you uh, this morning, I hope you do, let me invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Proverbs chapter 18. Um, I know I told you last week, um, as we talked about uh, the heart in Proverbs 4, I told you that we were wrapping up our sermon series uh, in Proverbs. We've been there the whole summer. I said, this is it. We're wrapping it up. Uh, But of course, you know, I said that, and then God had other plans. And so uh, here we find uh, ourselves once more um, looking at other words to live by. We need more wisdom, I guess, or maybe I needed more wisdom. And so God brought uh, me and therefore us back to Proverbs um, to help answer these questions uh, involving or surrounding friendship. Uh, And again, uh, the first uh, question that we're going to consider this morning is is simple. It is, what is a friend? What is a friend? Uh, Look with me at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Uh, We uh, we were mindful uh, through this series that Solomon wrote these Proverbs to us uh, as a guide for living well in God's world. That's why we have Proverbs Uh, He wants to help teach us how to navigate through this life in such a way that leads to life. And now we're going to see that part of living wise, part of being a wise person, part of living well in God's uh, world as a follower of Jesus is having Christ-centered, deep, meaningful relationships. And so this is what he writes. Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, this verse highlights a few different things about friendship, but I want to make four brief observations here uh, that we see from the writer. We're going to move through these pretty quickly. Um, First, and perhaps most obvious, again, looking at the text, we see that uh, friends are relatively few while companions are many. And we actually will see this idea repeated uh, a few different times by Solomon through Proverbs, but his point is simple. It's really simple. He's saying that true friends are rare. That's really what he's saying. True friends, true biblical gospel-centered friendships are rare, uh, and in that, in that, he says, it's, it's actually better, though. It's better to have a few close friends than to have many different companions or acquaintances in your life. Second, we learn here that 
friends are deeply committed to one another. We see that here in our Proverbs 18 text. Uh, I believe that the, the key word in this verse is actually that word sticks. You can see it there. A friend who sticks closer than a brother. That word here comes from the same Hebrew word uh, as the word to, to cleave. That might be a familiar word to those of you who, who know the Old Testament, but uh, it, it simply means this. It means to hold tightly, to, to grasp. Um, it means to have a firm, therefore, and, and loyal commitment to another person. And, and so we see here that friends are not only rare and few, Uh, But they are also deeply committed to one another. That's what a friend is. And then third, we learn here that a friend is a person that is intentionally chosen. They're intentionally chosen. You see, uh, whereas family is unintentionally chosen for you, right? We know that. You don't uh, choose or determine um, who your father is, who your mother is, uh, who your aunts and uncles uh, are. You don't get to choose who your, your brothers and sisters are. Some of you are sad about that, but you don't get to choose. Some of you are really happy with your, your uh, siblings. But friends, he says, p- friends are, are people you choose to stick by and be with. And, and, and so the question is, on what basis then are friends chosen? They're something that's intentionally chosen. On what basis? Or better, maybe a better way to say that, on what basis should they, they be chosen for those of us who follow Christ? Well, I actually think C.S. Lewis writes something interesting on this. He says this. Listen, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like this. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. In other words, healthy biblical friendship is developed or formed uh, around a common purpose or a common vision. It's someone who is side by side with you looking to common truth. They have the same outlook, the same perspective, and therefore we choose to stick by that person closely because we believe they're on the same path. Um, I've had a a few uh, different close friendships in my life, Um, and I was trying to think through some of those and uh, think of one instance that would illustrate this well, and it's pretty obvious uh, who came um, to mind. Um, There, uh, some of you know that before even moving to Korea, um, I helped plant a church in Raleigh, North Carolina, um, I went to Liberty University, graduated there, um, was looking at what to do next, felt God calling to Korea, but the doors were closed, and so ended up planning a church in Raleigh, North Carolina. And how it happened is, you know, Liberty was really involved in church planting at that time, and so teams would form from uh, Lynchburg, Virginia, to go around and plant churches all over the state, sometimes in the world. And so this team of 14 um, came together. I was going to be serving as the associate pastor to go plant a church. And I actually didn't even know the majority of people on the team. I only knew the senior, the person who was going to be the senior pastor. He was a close friend of mine. Long story short, um, uh, you know, get to get to North Carolina, and of course, a lot of it is you know moving to a new place, trying to meet new people, moving to homes, being in a culture that I didn't you know know. I thought at that time that was a big shift, and then moved to Seoul. 
Um, but, but moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, and, and there was a guy who was a part of the team, and he was actually going to be on uh, one of the other pastors. His name was Val. I didn't know Val. I knew of Val. I knew he had a really good reputation. Um, he also served um, in, our, in the seminary that I was part of in the church planning department, but I didn't know, know Val personally. And I remember um, he was moving in, and so I was helping him unload boxes, and I remember it started to rain. It was raining, and that's a nightmare for moving cardboard boxes, okay? And so we're moving, and we're doing this together, and we were like the only ones there, and, you know, thankfully it was only a one-bedroom apartment, but we're moving things, and I remember we had to go to a storage facility, and it was raining, and he and I were in his car, he was driving, and... Um, we're driving down the highway. We don't even really know each other. This is a little bit embarrassing, to be honest. <laughs> but we're driving down the highway, and the rain starts to kind of lighten up. And sort of out in the distance, there's this rainbow. Okay? And we're, we're driving. And I don't know why. Maybe just because, like, I felt like this is what God wanted me to do when finally it was going to be realized, or this is where I was supposed to be. It was just was right. But... I'm with this guy, and I started having, like, tears in my eyes. Like, this rain, and it was just like, I don't know, just something like the Holy Spirit. I just felt, so I'm like, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, no. Like, I can't let this guy see that I'm, like, crying in the car because of, like, the rain. And it was just beautiful, the mountains, all this stuff. So I kind of, like, sheepishly kind of, like, looked over, and I look over, and he has tears in his eyes. So... I look over, and he looks at me, and we're like, it's like this, C.S. Lewis. What? You too? Right? I thought I was the only one, right? And it was hilarious. But um, from there, um, it just led into this instant conversation uh, about the gospel and about our purpose and about how we see our lives even here on earth. Um, And it was almost like we could finish each other's sentence almost right away, Um, not because, like, you know, not like the romantic comedy, but because it's almost like it was just so based in scripture. Um, and we became really close friends, not because we had things uh, even in co- like, like interests, actually. Um, he was really big into like cycling and rock climbing and stuff like that. And if you know me, no, um, I'm, I'm not, you know, I want, I try, you know, I, I've tried um, to be an outdoorsman before. It doesn't usually go well for me. Um, even though I do like sports and things. Um, but, you know, uh, I would do some of the things that he liked to do, and I would get him, in, get him into some of the things I like to do, but we initially became close friends because, again, of the vision, because we were on the same path. And then, finally here, we see that friends are slowly discovered. That's not there directly in the text, but it is there. Again, note that our text says that a true friend is a person who will stick with you, Right? But of course, to know if those who are around you are going to be with you, uh, to, if they're going to stick by you, you actually have to go through a process of sharing your time and sharing your life with them. And that, of course, takes time, right? It's a process. And so here in Proverbs 18, we have what I'll say is uh, the definition, or maybe a better way to say it, the essence of friendship, biblical friendship. We see here from Solomon that True friendship is rare. It's a deep commitment. True friendship, biblical friendship, is intentionally chosen and it is slowly discovered. And I think if we put all these together, 
That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds nice, like something that we might want. I'm sure we can all agree that having this type of person in our lives, someone who is devoted to you like that, would be extremely valuable to your life. So the question then is, okay, so that's the definition. Now, how do I get it? How do I get a friend like that? Or maybe a better question or more important question is, how do I even become a friend like that? What are the ingredients or what are the elements that go into creating friendships like this? And so let me give you a few uh, building blocks on how to do this. Um, How do you create or cultivate a a biblical friendship? And these are all principles, by the way, that we're going to see throughout Proverbs. First, first is we, we see this idea of constancy. Okay? If you want to create or cultivate a biblical friendship, it's going to take constancy. Again, in Proverbs 18, 24, uh, we saw that this is a person who, again, sticks by you, meaning they're there with you, often, always. But also, look at what it says in Proverbs chapter 17, 17. It says this, a friend loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Uh, Maybe you've experienced this, maybe not. But there are going to be a lot of people in your life who are just, um, I'll put it nicely, they're just uh, fair weather friends. That is, uh, people that come and go in and out of your life based on the circumstances and situations around you and the circumstances and situations around them. But according to Proverbs, uh, these are not true friends. That actually, friends are people who stick by you even closer than a brother. They are people who love you at all times. It means that they are loyal with you, to you, through the good and the bad, through the thick and the thin, as some like to say. And I want to see here, say here as well that the all times here, that phrase all times here, isn't necessarily that you're with each other, like literally in the presence of each other um, all the time. Of course, it's important to spend time together. We've already said that. But the point here is uh, at all kinds of times, that's what Solomon is, saying, Solomon is saying, that in all places, in all seasons of life, a true friend will love you. A true friend will stick by you. And this is really the test of true friendship, isn't it? Uh, You cannot be a friend without actually being available. And you can't be a friend just when times are good. You also have to be there when times get hard. A true biblical friend does whatever it takes, regardless of the circumstances, They choose, they choose to be there, even if it costs them something. And of course, uh, that's why true biblical friendships are rare, right? Because we don't do this often, not towards others, right? We know this about ourselves. We don't do this towards others very often. And of course, then most people don't do this towards us, right? It's a real challenge, And so we have to be discerning as to who our real and true friends are. And and thankfully, it's not that hard to figure that out, right? All you have to do is just ask yourself, in times of struggle, who's there? When you feel like you're sinking at your lowest of lows, the lowest point in your life, 
Hard times, confusing times. Who is there with you? Or who do you want to be there with you? But who is willing to go through the mess of life with you? A true biblical friend can be trusted to always be there. Not just when times are good, not when they feel like it, not when it's just convenient for them, not when they feel like they're actually going to get something out of the relationship, but always. That's constancy. Then the second element we see to biblical friendship, if you want to be a true biblical friend, uh, you need candor, or maybe a better word or easier word for you is sincerity, but you're going to see that I'm trying to stick with the C theme, okay? Um, Candor or sincerity. Look at what Solomon writes um, in a few different places throughout Proverbs. We're skipping around a little bit this morning. But he says this, um, we'll read a couple passages in Proverbs 27. He says this in verse 9, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Or down in verse 17, he says, Iron sharpens iron. A lot of us have heard this before. And one man sharpens another. Or verse 5, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Or next verse, verse 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Or then we skip to chapter 29. A man who flatters his neighbor, that's the word, same word as friend, by the way, spreads a net for his feet. So what's going on here? There's a lot of poetic language there. What does all that mean? Well, all of this is, is really related to candid counsel. And there are really two big categories here. The first is we'll call friendly words. You can see that here. There's friendly words that are involved in candor or sincerity. We see here in these verses that a true friend, what do they do? They encourage. They give life with their words. We see here they are a joy to be around. And also we see that they make the heart glad. There is friendly words involved in sincere relationships or sincere friendships. But then second, we also see um, what I'll call friendly wounds. Okay? We have friendly words, but we also see here friendly wounds. And these are the words that at times your friend or that relationship, that person needs to hear, even though you know they'll be painful. This is all about being lovingly honest, right? And really, only a true friend can do both of these. Uh, But we are in need of both to become wise. That's the point here from Solomon. And so maybe you're here this morning or watching online, and you just ask yourself, uh, you reflect on your relationships and ask, what's going on in my relationships with the people who are around me who call themselves my, my friend or who I consider to be a friend? Is it just always about pleasant and encouraging words and it's always just fun to be around or on the other side maybe you have a relationship and it's always just a downer right it's always just discouraging to be with that friend Um, either way something is wrong with that relationship if there isn't a balance because true biblical friendship will always both make the heart glad and bring joy And yet at the same time, it will rebuke and sharpen in love. So let me encourage you uh, to strive for both in your relationships. 
to be balanced, to have candor, and then find people who are willing to do the same. Well, the third way to cultivate biblical friendship, it's really simple, but it's important. You need to care. Okay? You need to care. A couple more verses related to this from Solomon. Chapter 25, we see this. Whoever, I like this one, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. By the way, again, neighbor and friend is the same word there. Or how about this one? Whoever, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Right? Some of you are like, amen to that, right? To the, early, the friends who are the, the early risers and you like to sleep in. You know, that friend you know, calls you, hey, good morning, or welcome, whatever, and hey, you look great today. You know, it's actually, that's like, no, you're cursing me, right? It's just, thank you for the compliment, but that's, leave me alone, right? Uh, or how about chapter 26? It says, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. So what's Solomon talking about here in all of this? Well, to try to put it simply, all of this is about carelessness. It's all related to being thoughtless. Uh, It's about a person who is insensitive or unaware. Uh, The person Solomon is referring to here is is not thinking about others or the effects of their words or actions on those that are around them. They are selfish, bottom line. Or you could say, uh, with these type of people, there's a complete disconnect, right? Again, there's an unawareness. They're like a person, he says, who sings songs to a heavy heart, meaning there's no sensitivity. There's no self-awareness or awareness of the pain or hurt of others. But on the other hand, friendship requires then thoughtfulness. Again, sincerity and intentional care. Those are the things that protect and build friendships, whereas thoughtlessness and insensitivity break them down. And then the fourth way that we build biblical friendships is an important one. It's through confession, through confession. All of these, uh, constancy, candor, care, they're important. But confession here might be the key to a healthy biblical friendship. Look at Proverbs 6, starting in verse 5. Solomon writes this, My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Listen, go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. There's a lot there for us to consider, but here is the bottom line. And I hope this isn't a surprise to any one of us here. But because you and I are sinners, because we are sinners, even those of us who follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, those of us who have been saved by grace through faith, listen, we sin. We sin. 
We are sinful. And because of that, in any relationship, any relationship that we have, sin will occur. And it is therefore so important, so important, it is vital for us to know how to deal with sin when we sin. How do we react when we sin against one another, especially those who we even consider to be friends? You know, I think so many times, even within the context of the church, we handle sin one of two ways uh, with each other. I've seen this again and again and again. Either one, uh, we blow up. One, of a, one person or both people just like blow up towards each other, right? It's just a mess. Never talking to you again. Or I've seen this a lot too. It's like there's an argument or a disagreement. And then, uh, oh, well, I guess I have to go find another church. And one person decides who's going to stay and who's going to leave. Like there's a separate, because we can't even be in the same room together. Right? Or number two, I've seen this one maybe, maybe more often, uh, we tend to just brush it under the rug. Harbor those feelings. But God has a different and much better plan. He actually wants us to confess to one another. And what does that look like? What does that look like? Well, first of all, confession should be done without delay. There should be no delay. In other words, we should deal with it immediately. It should never be a, well, I I, I don't know. I just don't think uh, they're ready to hear me yet or to forgive me. Or this one, oh, I need to give it some time. I just need more time to think through this, to think through my feelings. Or it just doesn't feel like the right time, right? <laughs> Maybe you've done that before. But, but not at all. That's not how we approach this, not biblically. We see here in chapter 6 that we are to hasten. In other words, we are to move quickly. We are to have urgency when it comes to confession. And then second, confession should be authentic and specific, both authentic and specific. Now listen, there, there will be times, there will be times when your heart will not desire to move towards repentance and confession. Anybody ever sinned against another person and your heart was like, I don't want to go ask for forgiveness or even say I'm sorry? Anyone done that? Yep, I have. Okay. But that's Okay. You don't even have to wait until you're not in that place. Just go to that person and confess that too. And if you can't feel yet the weight of your sin, you could say something like, listen, I don't feel the weight of what I've done against you yet. Maybe I'll never understand, but I own that. So please forgive me for fill in the blank. Please forgive me for that thing that I did or that thing that I said. And be specific. Don't say for that thing, right? Be specific with it. Call sin what it is. Sorry that I sinned against you by fill in the blank. Don't generalize. Don't be flippant about your sin. Don't be casual, in other words. Confront it head on. And I believe if you genuinely learn how to do that in your relationships, to, to confess, to seek forgiveness when it's needed, right? there will actually be so much freedom in that relationship, so much freedom. Because you realize that both of you are, 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 are sinful people in need of grace. And so you, you allow room for mistakes. Right? There'll be so much more freedom. But not only that, the gospel, this is so important, that the gospel will naturally become so relevant in that relationship. 
because you are able to continually, again, remind one another that we all fall short of the glory of God, that we are all constantly in need of grace and forgiveness and saving. And so please, fill your friendships with open and honest confession. So sum this up, if you want true biblical friendships, what does it take? Well, it takes consistency. It takes candor, authenticity, sincerity. It's going to take care, sometimes supernatural levels of care. It's also going to take confession, being vulnerable, being humble. You get those, you figure that out, you do those things, you'll have a good friend. And let me just say this um, as well before we move on. Um, Maybe I could have led our time this morning uh, by saying this, but please understand why this matters. Why, Why are we even having this conversation? Well, this matters. This matters because who we are around, who we surround ourselves with, is ultimately who we're becoming. It's ultimately who you're becoming. Look, I hope you know this, and maybe you're going to realize this about yourself right now, but we conform, don't we? We conform as human beings. It's in our, na- it's in our very nature, right? We tend to be shaped by the people who we spend the most time with, right? You start to even dress like those people, talk like those people, right? You message like those people, that naturally happens. Like, I know that's true of me. I, I, um, I lived a lot of different places um, in my life. Um, I grew up in New York, um, but I also lived in the Bay Area in California. I lived in Florida. I lived in Virginia. I lived in North Carolina, which I mentioned before. Uh, and now, of course, you know, live here in Seoul. And depending on where I am, even still today, you know, depending on where I am, I visit those places, and who I'm with, I kind of revert back and conform a little bit that's based on who I'm with in the friendship group that I'm kind of hanging out with. Like if I'm with my, my friends in New York, uh, I'm a little bit more sarcastic because they're pretty sarcastic. I didn't realize how sarcastic I was until I got out of New York. But a little bit quick and a little bit of that, uh, little bit of that New York accent starts to come out of me. I pretty much fleshed it out. But you would hear if I was with my friend you know, come on, get to the car, you know, we go. <laughs> um, when I'm in the Bay Area in California, uh, that area, wow, is it chill. Like, I didn't understand. Like, that, the whole perception in California, it's relaxed. It really is, especially compared to, to, to New York. And so, you know, even using their, you know, vocabulary and words for things, like, you know, it was heck of tight to live in the Bay Area. For, if you know, you know. Okay. Uh, Lived in Florida, you know, and that's, you know, all about golf courses and, you know, laid back life. My parents live in a retirement community. And so I went in there and it's like, you know, all of a sudden I'm playing bocce ball, you know, (laughs) with my, it's just different, right? Virginia, North Carolina, went to North Carolina. I had never seen, some of you know what I'm talking about. I had never seen white biscuit gravy in my life. I never knew what sweet tea was. I, I thought sweet tea was nest tea. Some of you are like, what in the world, right? Went there, and now I go there, and it's how you all doing, right? Like, I, where's the sweet tea? Let's do this, right? It changes. And now here in Seoul, now here in Seoul, seven years here, and I find myself being a little bit more like a Soulite, right? 
I'm running with everybody else to the bus stop. You know, I'm, this is shameful, but I did this. It's been so hot, I brought out, I literally did this, I brought out an umbrella when it wasn't raining. Looked around, I'm like, I would, if I did this in America for my friends, I would never be able to walk in that people again. But I was like, you know what? Everyone else is doing it. So brought out, and it's a bright red umbrella too. Have my umbrella and walk in and sun's not going to touch me today, right? I'm, I'm good to go. I'm becoming a sole citizen, right? I'm sure you do this too. You can relate to that. Depending on who, who you're with, you can form a little bit, right? And actually, Solomon addresses this reality. He addresses this reality throughout Proverbs. Look at a few of these verses. He says this in chapter 13. He says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Or how about this? Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. How about chapter 12? One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor. See that? But the way of the wicked leads them astray. And of course, there are certainly others, but in each of these texts, what we learn is that, again, you will, and you are being shaped by those who you spend the most time with, whether for good or for bad. And so therefore, we must, we must, we need to be careful with who we give our time to. We should ask ourselves, the people around me, yeah, like they're, they're, they might be really nice people, right? They might be fun to be around, but where are they headed? What's the direction of their life? Like what, where do they find their purpose? What's the vision for their life? Don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying don't hang out with people who don't know, don't know Jesus, right? That would be the worst thing for you to leave, leave this morning thinking that I said. Don't hang out with people who don't know Jesus. No, of course you should. You should be sharing the gospel with people and influencing those people towards the path of righteousness. But what I am saying is, who are the primary people in your life? In other words, who's in your inner circle? Because again, you are always going to end up looking like the people you're mostly around. So now back to our questions. You know, we've discussed what is a friend We've considered how to cultivate or create biblical friendships. And now I want to end this morning with where we get the ability to be a true friend. Where do we get the ability to be a true friend? And the reason I want to end here is because um, I think, again, it's pretty obvious that this isn't easy. It's not easy to do all of these things or to be all these things for other people. I want to acknowledge that. It's not comfortable. Uh, it, It takes hard work to be continually committed to be authentic and vulnerable, to be encouraging and challenging, to be caring, to be humble, to be forgiving towards others. That's hard, but, but it's not impossible. And so how can we do this? Where do we get the ability to be a biblical friend? Well, uh, if you've been here with us at Freedom Village uh, for any amount of time, or you've heard, I don't know, even a half a dozen of my sermons, you already know the answer because it's a familiar one here, and it's a familiar answer in the scriptures. The answer is, we look to Christ. We look to Christ. 
Isn't that almost always the answer? <laughs> we focus on Jesus. Look at John chapter 15, 13 through 16 with me. It was our scripture for today that, that Lauren um, uh, here read for us. Jesus said this again. Listen to these words now in the context of our message today on friendship. He said this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you, and then it goes on. You did not choose me, but I chose you. What Jesus is saying here to us through this passage is simply, it's truly amazing. Amazing. He says, I am, listen, I am your ultimate friend. I came, I came actually to be your friend and to offer you friendship with me. I laid down my life for you because I am deeply committed to you so that, and now, so that you can stick close to me. You see, it's, it's only when we experience Jesus' friendship, true friendship with him and in him, that we can then turn around and become true friends towards others. You know, what's, what's truly amazing to me, going back to Solomon's words, Remember, he, he said this. He said, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But then what did he say? But the companion of fools will suffer harm. The companion of fools will suffer harm. And that's true. You see, we know with Jesus that he came to the earth. He became a companion of fools. People like you and me. And therefore, suffered harm on our behalf. When we were enemies of God, Jesus came to make us friends of God. That's the beauty of the gospel, that in Christ, God is actually befriending us. And that means that he cares about you today, uh, that he cares about your sin, that he cares about your future He thinks about you. He understands you. It means that he loves you. And it means that you are never, again, you're never alone. And again, it's out of that friendship, our friendship with the creator God, that allows us to be a true biblical friend towards others. And so that's really our bottom line today. Our friendship with God allows us to be a true friend towards others. Our friendship with God allows us to be a friend, a true friend, towards others. And listen, we can be a friend who bears adversity. You can do that. Why? Because Jesus bore our adversity on the cross. You can today. You can be a loyal friend, a consistent friend. Why? Because Jesus has promised to never leave you and to never forsake you. We can be a friend who loves even when it's undeserved because Jesus died for us when it was undeserved. We can be a friend who who cares and who shows compassion. 
We can be a friend who is exceedingly gracious and merciful. We can be a friend who doesn't hold grudges, who always forgives because Jesus demonstrates all of this and freely gives all of this to us, his friends. I could go on and on and on. But the point is, if you understand who God is and what he has done through the work of his son, Jesus, if you can grasp today, if you can grasp his friendship with us, then, then you can have amazing, fruitful, biblical friendships in your life. My heart, I was thinking about this a lot this week, particularly in the season that we're in. My heart for this gathering, for you, is that you would truly be the church. I believe God sent me here to to tell you that, to help you with that. That you, that we together would live our lives truly led by the Spirit of God that we would truly center our lives, the totality of ourselves. We wouldn't hold anything back. We would center our lives on the gospel of Jesus Christ together. And that we would live our lives with actual life-giving purpose, knowing that we have a calling, we have a direction to become more like Jesus but also to help other people become more like Jesus. That's why you're here if you belong to Christ. But for this to happen, here's the reality. For that to actually happen, we need to build meaningful relationships. We need to be in community with people who will love us, but also with people who will challenge us. We need to build friendships with people who will stick close to us while continually pointing us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we ourselves, we ourselves have to become those types of friends as we look to Jesus. Again, I know, I know it's been a difficult season of life. And as I said from the very start, uh, it's been very, very challenging in terms of trying to build meaningful community just because of the simple fact uh, that it's been hard to meet together. It's already hard to do this. It's just got infinitely harder. But listen, we have to try. We need to try. We need to move forward. We, We cannot. We cannot sit still any longer. We need to fight for this as a church family. We need to be willing to do whatever it takes, whether it's consistently meeting online, whether it's meeting one-on-one, whether it's meeting two-on-two, if we have to start a hundred new groups, whatever it takes, because this matters. This matters to God. And imagine with me, imagine with me what it would look like, what it would look like if all of us, if every single one of us were committed to this, if all of us who call Freedom Village Church home were willing to actually not just casually go into this, but would actually be willing to sacrifice for this, imagine the impact and transformation that would come, not only for us personally, but also in our families, 
in our workplace, our schools, our community, our neighborhoods? What if all of us were truly devoted to looking more like Jesus, to becoming a great friend, and to surrounding ourselves with people who are aiming to do the same? This is God's desire for you, for us, his church. God created you, actually, to be in community, to build friendships, and to become family in the body of Christ. So we're going to go that way because it's God's way. Amen? Let me pray for us.